Hey, what up, Long Beach? Ole, 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 ole. We're talking about local soccer today on the podcast that is part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post. As always, this show is brought to you by the562.org. I'm JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Gertabasio. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson. Uh, everything that we do at the 562, sponsored by our good friends over at Naples Rib Company, longtime supporters of what we do and everything else in the Long Beach sports community. Uh, as always, we remind you to get down to Naples Rib Company, enjoy the best barbecue in the city. And when you go, be sure to let them know that the 562.org sent you down there. So before we get to local football that has been elite for the last few months, We've got to talk about what we're doing at Long Beach Post with the education stories. Mike, you're running point on that, and there is a big one coming on the pipe right now. Yeah, if you saw the story at obpost.com that we did about the negotiations between the um, CSEA union, uh, or if you were watching, uh, it was on some of the local news channels last night, um, potentially a very big story. Uh, the Long Beach Unified School District is the biggest employer in Long Beach. It has about 12,000 employees. When most people think of people who work for a school district, they think of teachers or, or administrators. Uh, about 3,400 of the 12,000 employees are teachers, but about 3,000 of them are what they call uh, classified workers, which is um, CSOs on campus, the, new, the people who work in the cafeteria, maintenance workers, custodians, school bus drivers, et cetera. And uh, they're the second biggest group of employees in the district. Like I said, there's about 3,000 of them. They are members of the, uh, not TAL, which is the teachers union, but the CSEA, which is the California Schools Employees Association. Long Beach's chapter of the CSEA is the oldest chapter in the state. Um, it is chapter two um, because it was founded that long ago. Uh, and they have been basically engaged in the same negotiations with the district over a raise that the teachers have been. Um, the teachers accepted a raise uh, last year the CSEA wanted a bigger raise and their rationale around that was these raises are not flat amounts. They're based on percentages of what you make. A starting teacher in the LBUSD makes, I think, 57, 58,000. Uh, but many teachers obviously have been in the district longer and making more. And so the point of the CSEA president is if you're making $100,000 and someone gives you a 2% raise, now you, you that's worth $2,000 to you. If you're making a minimum wage, which about half of the CSEA employees are, it's worth about $240 to you, um, which as we know with uh, you know, the rising cost of living in Southern California, the governor put the cost of living adjustment number at about 5% just over the last year. Um, that does not add up to the same amount. You know? and, and so their point has basically been that um, you know, they're the working class employees of the district. They make up the working class families of the district, some of them. And they're saying, hey, we can't afford to live in the city anymore. Um, if we're not making more money. And I think what interests me about this story is not just that it's kind of a labor negotiations um, where last night for the first time, the leadership of the CSEA was threatening a strike. What's interesting to me is this is a bigger city issue. This is the exact problem with Long Beach, right? I live in a house um, that when it was built cost $50,000 to buy it. And it costs a hundred times that now. And minimum wage has not gone up a hundred times, right? So I think it's, it's, it's a much bigger issue about how we keep Long Beach people in Long Beach um, and how we keep from turning into L.A. or Orange County, where you can't afford to live here unless you've got an advanced degree of some kind. And I think it's a really hard question because the school district response is we can't give everyone the raises we'd like to give everyone or we won't have uh, the money to run ourselves in a fiscally responsible way. So you can read more from the story uh, at lbpost.com. 
uh, and kind of see what some of the back and forth is there. Those two sides will be going before um, the Public Employees Relations Board or, or PERB, because everything's got a stupid acronym in both education and in labor relations. Um, PERB? And, but and is, PERB, is PERB necessary? Uh, it's in, and dude, in sports. Dude, let's, and not, in sports. let's not leave sports out. <laughs> but it, dude, but it's just so like, you're talking to this guy and he's like really, you know, ripping his heart out of his chest to talk to you about like, I have employees telling me they're making decisions about food versus rent. And he's like, so hopefully when we go before the perb next month, and you're just like the perb, can we right. not find a more, you know, an acronym with some more gravitas than that? But um, they're going in front of the two sides go in front of the uh, PERB for uh, what's called a mediated fact finding, which is the district will lay out. Here's our finances. This is why we've made the decisions we've made. The union's going to say, this is the cost of living problem that we're having. Um, this is the raise that LA Unified gave out. And this is how Long Beach is stacks up against that. Um, and then where CSEA is really going to push is that the district has, and this has been a matter of quite a bit of debate on every side of education in Long Beach, they have a $300 million savings account that is very unique in um, the world of public schools. Chris Steinhauser built that reserve up. Um, over a decade plus after the layoffs in 2008. And anytime Taub or the CSEA or any other employee uh, labor group wants money, they always point to that. And they said, you were not supposed to be saving any of this money. The money is supposed to come in from taxes and go out in spending in that year. Um, and so if you have this money in reserve, it means that you can afford to pay us. The district's response rightfully is, this is the reason we got through a lot of the pandemic challenges uh, better than other people because we could pay cash advance on stuff that we knew was coming in aid later. Um, and the district is in a period of uh, a decade plus of steadily declining enrollment. The reason that they have not had to lay people off, et cetera, et cetera, is they have these reserves, which um, they're able to tap into, but they want to tap into them for those more structural reasons and not for giving people raises. So that that's the big picture back and forth we're dealing with here. So, Mike, let's I, I know you, you touched on, you know, who is involved in, in this particular union as it's, you know, it's different than teachers um, for parents or students that are listening. If things do come to a strike and, and maybe this is too abstract to even really know until it, it gets to that point, which is still a ways off. How would that well, impact? And I'd like to of, emphasize it's quite a ways off. You know, I mean, they have right. to continue to remain at an impasse and then the, the membership would have to vote to go to a strike, which I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced that they would do. But yes. But hypothetically, in that kind of worst case scenario, when things come to you know a boiling point and have a strike, how, how might that present itself and what impact would that have on the schools? Or, or is it tough to even really put that into context for people? To my knowledge, the, te the teachers in Long Beach have never gone on strike and the classified uh, workers to what the union leadership was telling me have never gone on strike. So I, I really don't have an ability to try and project what that would look like. Um, I know that many of the things that are many, I mean, similar to teachers, many of the things that the classified workers do are required by the state to be offered to students. I mean, you can't not have special education instructional aids um, just because a, a teacher, just because a labor union is on strike. So uh, there certainly would have to be some kind of a workforce replacement. Um, you know, hopefully, obviously, it doesn't come to anything like that. But but that's why those issues, when they come up, you know, and my wife's dad was a teacher in Linwood. Um, he was part of a teacher strike there. They're really, it's really ugly in all directions when that stuff starts happening. So I'm hopeful they're able to come to some kind of an agreement. Um, I just think fundamentally like the teachers union is one of the more powerful unions in the city. And I think another underlying part of this is 
how is the district selling to the teachers union? We gave a different union a bigger raise than you got. You know, I mean, I think that's a that's a part of it as well. But there's also because the CSEA is more of a um, more of a blue collar labor force that just naturally means that they're, in my opinion, they're just less willing. They're probably less willing to strike. You know, I mean, it, it, you're really most of those families. And obviously those are our friends. I mean, the CSEA workers, these are a lot of them are the coaches and and the people that we really get to know on campuses. Um, it's, it's a difficult it's difficult to think about how you put together a month or two with no income. Um, when you're making closer to minimum wage than, you know, to what a starting teacher does. So does, does the last year kind of affect this in a way that like nobody is prepared for? Like the, the way the last year was put, was put together in order to make sure that the kids get what they deserve, but then also putting these adults and, and young adults who work in the school district, they, they put them through more work than they've ever been through. You know what I mean? And more unprecedented yeah. work. So does that help or hurt the union? I think that that um, is a bit, whether it helps or hurts, JJ, I think you hit on an important point because when this stuff first, they've been negotiating over this contract since March of 2020. That, like that's how long, and they've officially been at an impasse, uh, I believe since October, like it, they're just stuck. And I really believe a big part of it is you just hit on it that, you know, the CSEA employees, they did not, they were, you know, the teachers were teaching from home from March, 2020 on for, for close to a year, the CSEA employees were not, they were still going to work on the campus. Uh, almost all of them. They were the ones whose job it was to put in place all of these, you know, safety measures and, and precautions. And absolutely when they first started going to the school board to talk about this, something that a couple of, of speakers who are members of the CSEA brought up is we were the ones on the front line. Like we, like we didn't get to go home and do our job at home. We were still showing up and working in office buildings with circulated air in March and April of 2020 when everyone was really scared and no one knew what was going on. So we feel we have the right to ask for a bigger raise than the teachers. We feel we have a right to be compensated in a different way with a hero pay or essential workers type of a, a pay. Now the teacher's response to that is, hey, this has also been the worst year, two years that any teacher has experienced on the job like it's been enormously trying for everyone which obviously the three of us are very well aware of but um there is just no doubt that that emotion is a big part of uh where the csea membership is right now on that well and it's it's obviously a big story that's going to greatly impact the the community uh at large but more specifically you know the people we interact with we're on school campuses all the time and see you know people really on both sides of this issue so um it's a big story and and glad that um you know, we've got such good reporting on it. So thank you, Mike. Credit to you for, for the, <laughs> the years uh, that you've built the expertise in, uh, in the education reporting is a component that we've added at the 562. You know, it was not always a part of what the sports guys would, would take on. But thank you to the, the Long Beach Post for the partnership uh, to produce that coverage. And uh, hopefully it gives all of our readers a better understanding of what's going on in the community. And you know, we're the, we're the only people at those board meetings in the, in the media section, you know what I mean? And so it's bringing, you know, awareness to, to these issues and making sure that people are informed. And if that kind of coverage is important to you, then, you know, we hope that you will support the work that we're doing at the 562 as a nonprofit to make sure we're, we're all aware of what's going on in the community. And if you would like to support our work, definitely go to the 562.org, click that support tab, and uh, there's a lot of ways that you can uh, chip in and help out the work that we're doing, both at, at the 562 with the Long Beach Post, in the Grunion Gazette. We're, we're everywhere doing a little bit of everything and hoping to serve the Long Beach community well. Right now, 
one of the biggest stories on the field is that local soccer is great. We've seen this coming. It's been building. Obviously, you had the Wilson girls soccer teams that were winning a national championship in 2007, and you had them in CIF championships. And obviously, Millican boys soccer has been to CIF championships. But right now, Long Beach boys soccer is deeper and more talented than we've ever seen it. It's coming at the perfect time with the inclusion of field turf here in the city across the district. It's coming in perfect time with the development of a group like Beach FC, where we've got a club here in Long Beach that can have that talent stay local. They don't have to go to Orange County to play with strangers. They can, they can stay home and play with their friends. And it's the perfect time with playoff equity. Because now you've got other teams in lower divisions who are battling with the Millicans, with the Wilsons, with the Pollies, and they can have a chance in those playoffs. So it's all happening at the right time. It's great. The reason why I bring this up this week, the reason why we're talking about it this week, is because it's a huge week for local boys soccer. Like we said in the preview, they're the only league that in the city, only league in the city that has four teams in division one, and they're ready to make another run. There's a bunch of talent in the city and a bunch of really good coaches. Now, obviously good coaching is a huge part of high school sports, but we can start with the kids, right? Like Sierra Scythe is a great example. You can read a feature about her by our guy, Julian Lopez at the 562.org right now. She's playing at Millican. She's a Millican Ram and has been, but this is her first full high school season because she had club commitments She's a, a part of the U.S. Developmental Academy system, which is a huge honor for any high school soccer player. And because of some rule changes as to when or when you couldn't play club and play high school soccer, she's able to play high school soccer. And she's absolutely changing that program on and off the field. Now, obviously, not much needed to be changed. The three-time more league champions are the Rams. But she's the type of player where when she's on the field, the game changes. And when you have game changers in a sport like soccer – it immediately changes everything about the team, the game they're in, and the league. So Sierra Scythe is a great example of what we're dealing with. Because, guys, we've seen a lot of players come through here where uh, you didn't see them coming. You know what I mean? Didn't see them coming, but then all of a sudden, oh, man, look at that goal. Tyler, I, I'm thinking of, like, Reese Doherty at Wilson. You know what I mean? She wasn't the story coming out of that poly comeback victory at Wilson last week that really put the Jackrabbits back in the more league girls soccer title race. But damn, she's really good, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were noticing at that game and, you know, the position we were on the field, Doherty was like right in front of us for, for large uh, chunks of the game. And, and we were just seeing her great, just greatly impact anytime the ball was in her area. Obviously, Polly had to key in on her. She had the go ahead goal for the Bruins. And um, when she came out of the game, you saw how much it shifted. So that's what you're saying where, um, you know, one player, it's harder in soccer because it's, it's not like basketball where things are more condensed and there's only five aside 11 on 11, much larger pitch. But when, you know, when at this level, one player, if they're talented enough can really shift things. And yeah, you're both of those names that you mentioned, I'll throw uh, Bella Yakel from Polly in there as well. Um, there, there's certain players that we've seen this year that are right at the top that are all like division one kids that are really uh, impactful and fun to watch anytime they get the ball at their feet. It's great defense as well. There's that old classic Long Beach water polo saying defend Long Beach. Everybody's got those shirts down at the bop Belmont outdoor pool. And I think that that style, that attitude that comes out of Long Beach high school sports where it's defense first and then just beat you up with our pure athleticism, our pure speed, our pure will, 
our want, our desire. That's, that's how, how many times we've seen Long Beach teams win championships. More often than not, that's why they're there. You know what I mean? Lock it down in the back, build up in the front. And that's the perfect way to play high school soccer. Like well, it just so it just so happens that if you can create from the back, you are immediately in a better position to win a high school soccer game. And I just want to take it back. Uh, you know, you mentioned the great position that soccer is in. You know, Long Beach uh, obviously has had powers in baseball and football and track and field. But um, we used to have what you're describing with soccer with basketball for decades in the Moore League. That if you talk to Frank Burleson, if you talk to any of the people who played or coached in kind of the heyday, you know, really from the 50s through the end of the 90s um, or the, the mid 2000s, it was like that, that it was like the top five or six teams could all beat each other. And they were like, you know, every game is a sellout. Every game is a grudge match um, type of a thing. And I think it was because of you just hit on it. It's the players mixed with the coaching. You know, uh, they, Gary McKnight talked about what always was hard for him when they would play Ron Palmer's poly teams was you had these players that were super athletically gifted who were also very technically skilled and very well coached. So it wasn't the less athletic players of the time, maybe at modern day or other private schools or more athletic, you know, athletic players, but who weren't necessarily getting the coaching from some of the city schools. It was this blend of technique and talent um, that I think it really mirrors very much what we're seeing with soccer. What I think is fascinating about it is basketball was the pre-competitive equity, the pre-club world where they were, just, these kids were just hooping and, you know, you weren't, you couldn't play high school basketball in ninth grade. <laughs> you know, it, it was, it, it was such a different world, but we've somehow recreated that with soccer with this club infrastructure around things too. I just love that these kids still want to play for their school and they still want to represent their city in addition to their, their club programs. I think it, it just, it adds so much to the sport um, and gives us something really fun to write about constantly. Well, and, and you said it, Mike, I mean, especially in boys soccer where you can really go, you know, the, the top six really are just <laughs> on any given night with, you know, the ball bouncing the right way. Um, you know, anybody can get a result off of anybody else, you know? And so you have to, be prepared for anything. You can't take uh, matches off, you know, if you're one of the leaders um, because one of the quote unquote underdogs will knock you off. You know what I mean, uh, there's just so many programs that are, that are competitive and talented and uh, it's exciting on any given day. You know, you look at um, some of the results may belie how good some of these teams are. I'm thinking specifically of Lakewood, very talented. You know, they have some, some tougher results earlier in the season, but even the, the winning coaches say, you know, that team's good, you know, and we, we may have gotten a good result, but it wasn't easy uh, to come by. And so I, I'm interested to see if we can get something similar to what we got in football, uh, American football. Uh, I'm hoping, you know, where we were thinking, you know, these teams aren't as bad as maybe their record shows or, you know, where they're getting ranked. And then ultimately we had four teams go to a championship game. So hopefully that will happen as the divisions break out. Um, there's not as much, uh, dispersion among the soccer teams. There's not as many divisions, uh, but but we'll see how how things shake out and whether Long Beach can make some runs. But it's it's exciting. I mean, credit to Wilson for being at the top of the table. They've kind of been the top of the table all year, but certainly Polly's on their heels, and uh, you know there's still a lot of soccer left to play. So long as we can get these matches in. Yeah, to, to what Mike said, kudos to the CIF for changing those rules and making sure that kids who are involved in elite club stuff or developmental academies or whatever it is, can find a way to also play high school. 
there was a time when we were working in the city where kids were having to decide between club and high school. And now they don't have to do that, which is really great. And, and to your point, Tyler, yeah, it's depth. Depth makes everything better in high school sports for, for sure. And even just to a team and to a game, like for example, like you mentioned, Long Beach Poly defending league champions multiple times, doing great. Eric Leone, the coach over there, doing an amazing job. But you got to develop your team, right? You got to develop your program. And it was so proof, there was so much proof of that. Um, when they played Milliken on Martin Luther King Day at home in the afternoon, they lost their star. Omar Juarez early, he hit his head when he fell down. So we went into concussion protocol, wasn't able to come back into the game. Then they got a couple yellow cards on their back line. So they had to bring dudes in from the bench and their bench guys came in and played maybe not as well, but basically held the game together with it. When, you know, you don't practice with those guys on the field together. You know what I mean? He's got five dudes on there who didn't start the game, but they looked so cohesive and so under control. And that's just a testament to the program, to the coaching, to the talent of the kids. But when you see that, that's the separation between an elite group and a just, just a good group. Like an elite group can adjust on the fly, win different ways. And Polly proved that. And that's just, a, that's just a testament to the entire league that you have to have that kind of depth in order to survive a game like that, that maybe you would win if you had all your people. But most of the time, as we've seen this season, usually you're not going to have all your people. Yeah, it's like in uh, baseball, we talk about, you know, you can't go through the playoffs with just one arm, with just one pitcher. You know, you're, you're going to have to dip into your bench and get some contributions. And we saw when Milliken won their championship, their their backup arms maybe weren't quite Miles Patton, but they were still putting up a lot of zeros and that's what helped them win. So, you know, that, that you do need that, you know, and especially with, <laughs> obviously we've dealt with a lot of uh, COVID cancellations and things like that. Will kids miss time and quarantine and not be able to practice? Obviously, injuries are always a concern. So, yeah, the, the depth of the teams and, and really, yeah, the depth of the league is fun to watch. And, and we're looking forward to uh, this uh, Polly Milliken girls game. We're recording this on Thursday before that game. Um, and, and so we're looking forward to another marquee matchup. As, as you said, JJ, this is kind of the biggest week of the season for more league soccer, kind of on both sides, honestly, it feels like. Yeah, because that uh, that result between Milliken and Polly, which you can obviously check on right now at the 562.org, is going to completely change the way Milliken plays Wilson in their games. Wilson's sitting right there as well in those girls' soccer standings. And then on the boys' side, it is uh, it is up for the grabs. Wilson is right there, but Polly nip it on their heels. And the big games are still yet to come that you can check out. You can also go beyond the Moore League, right? At St. Anthony, the girls' soccer team is led by Tatiana Fernandez, who is actually a member of a very elite team for Beach FC. So she is a, she's a pure Long Beach soccer player, right? She's also got a 4.5 GPA. She's also a huge comic book nerd. She's also just like really smart and intelligent talking about other stuff that she's not even interested in. I had a great interview with her last week and you can check out the feature right now at the 562.org. But you know what my favorite part of kids like that? And it's in the lead, so you can check it out on the story as well. Every time in practice, when they have competitions, the losers run, right? It's how you make competition. It's how you build camaraderie, blah, blah, blah. Anytime the losers run for a Tatiana Fernandez team, she's running with the losers. Even if she was on the winning team, even if she wasn't participating in the drill, she runs with the losers every single time. And that's my type of kid, man. You know what I mean? That's the, that's the, type, of, that's the type of player I want to play with. I want to coach. I want to watch. I want to root for somebody who's out there with the elite talent, but still goes the extra little bit of mile 
to make sure that the other people around her aren't left behind or feel, you know, hard done by or whatever. Like that type of leadership is, uh, is something that you can really find in soccer and you can really follow in soccer because it's not football. They're not wearing helmets. It's not basketball, hard to hear what they're saying or whatever. You can hear a lot. You can see a lot when you're watching soccer. And actually, this is a perfect way to get into what we're doing today. We're going to interview one of our high school interns, Aiden Curry. And he told me when we were covering a soccer match last week, he was like, that's his favorite thing about watching soccer and covering soccer is that you can hear what people are saying. You can see their facial expressions. You can follow the emotion of the game, even if you don't know what the score is. You know what I mean? So it's almost a human experience watching soccer, watching football. I know that makes me sound like a, a bootleg Roger Bennett, but I'm all about it. So you can follow along with all of the soccer coverage at the 562.org and check out our interview with our very own intern, Aiden, right now. We're here with 562 student intern, Aiden Curry. I said that right, yeah? Yeah, you Okay, did. Aiden Curry. Uh, Aiden, uh, you're wrapping up your, your semester of interning with the 562. What's the experience been like for you? Uh, it's been really fun. Uh, I feel like there's been a lot more. Coming into this, I didn't know how much freedom I'd have in, like, choosing which games I could go to or, like, if I'd be set uh, by you guys to go to specific games. But I feel like uh, as I progressed, uh, I've really realized that, like, it, a lot of it is – on our initiative and like oh do i want to go to this game yeah i'll contact this guy and ask uh hey can i come and they'll always have something for you to do and i feel like that's a really that's what i like most about them too is that they'll always find something for you to do uh even if they're supposed to do the entire game by themselves well and that that was something we appreciated about about you aiden because you know we a lot of times we would be thinking like okay where where should we send them you know because we want to put you guys in a position to have fun and, and succeed um but you, you would hit us up and say hey this big game's coming up i'd really like to go so we we're like <laughs> sure man come along so um you know we always like that initiative and want to know that you guys are having fun um so obviously did, did you have a good time like did you enjoy the process of going to games and you know having your sports writer hat on did you see the game differently than you would as like a fan or a student just going to watch games yeah of course i feel like uh when you come up and watch as a fan or a student uh it's a lot more you end up a lot more focusing on the crowd as opposed to the game because you're with your friends or you're focusing on a specific person in the game but this way uh you look to take an unbiased approach at both teams so that you could give uh readers or viewers uh, good knowledge of like who's performing well and who has a chance to perform at the next level because that's one of the biggest parts of what the 562 likes to do is that you want to give attention to the people who deserve it you know obviously when you cover sports your relationship with sports changes but just talk about yourself personally did you learn something about yourself during this Ooh. process that maybe wasn't sports related that's or a whatever deep question jj i like that very deep question <laughs> i like it uh, I mean, it could be. It could even be something that surprised you. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I learned. What I realized is that I'm I'm better at meeting, or maybe not meeting time constraints, but I'm better at like, if I'm given a deadline, uh, I'm better at reaching it than I uh, thought I was. Because uh, a lot of times I'll like procrastinate. Uh, I'll procrastinate on schoolwork and I'll get it done at the last minute. And with stuff like this, uh, there's sometimes where like you can't get stuff out as soon as you want because you have schoolwork. But uh, most of the time, I'd like try to make time to finish an article, which is most most of what I did. But uh, finish articles, which is, I thought there was points in time where it'd be really difficult for me to get that done, and I feel like I was able to do a lot better job at that than uh, I originally thought. 
Well, we were very impressed. You were a much you were much further along as a writer than we expected you to be, which was kind of true, I would say, across the board of the interns. And it's fair to say because we had we didn't know what to expect, right? This is the first yeah. group, so you guys had the extra burden of being the first interns with the five six two at the high school level. So we really didn't know what to expect, but we were really impressed. That's true, like across the board by the work all of you guys did. Um, to JJ's point, and like I said, I mean, I know I've mentioned with you, you know, you're you're pretty advanced as far as writing. Is it? Uh, did you feel like you kind of like found something where you're like, oh, maybe I would be interested in doing this in college, or maybe this is something I want to pursue a little bit? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. You don't have to pretend that you did. If they answer, <laughs> no. just, that's, it's right. an honest question, but I'm just just asking. No, I mean, well, part of the reason why I did this or was because one uh i'm looking for ways to get into college and that's really hard uh that's hard enough as it is nowadays and so uh i saw this as a great opportunity especially because i uh i've never been like as good as sport uh, as good at the sports that i play as i'd like to be so i saw this as a good opportunity to stay involved and hopefully get a chance to do journalism or maybe something different that's still sports related uh in college or even as a career and so I feel like this is a really good start, especially at the local level. Uh, you get familiar with people like you guys who know how to do this, and you've been doing this for long enough that uh, you're able to share your knowledge with us. And it's a lot easier to pick up than you would think, or that than you would think. Uh, it's not I, easy for everybody, though. Like yeah. I'm, I'm saying that to you as a, as a compliment. Like there's kids in college in this city right now that are not as good at writing sports as some of you guys. Uh, athletes who wish that they were better at playing their sports. That is the sports writer like target that's where like all sports writers come from would you say that oh yes I, yeah i was i literally was gonna say as a former <laughs> that's aspiring like literally athlete what, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah. That literally what jj said to me when he i was like why did you because jj's wanted to be a sports writer since he was like 18 i was like why do you want to be a sports writer he's like well i realized that i liked sports and that that was the only way i was gonna get to continue to be in them Prerequisite. <laughs> right. they usually say what they usually say those that can't do teach which is always like an unfair dig i feel yeah, like but yes. i think it's more apropos to say those who can't play right yeah i Think that, like that. And, or just become a playwright. That's that could good. be the other thing. Yeah. What, um, is there one particular game or like a moment or a, a play or something that you remember that was kind of a highlight for you that you're like, oh, this is so cool that I got to be here for this blank? I know, I know you ended up covering kind of a lot of uh, lopsided scores, but is there something that you look back on? You're like, dang, that game was pretty memorable. I'm glad I was there for that. Cur- Aiden Curry, the blowout king. He was the block. Well, the game that I was at last week, the Wilson Pauly girls game, that was probably the best game I've been to. Uh, I love the atmosphere. Uh, Pauly traveled well, so they matched the energy of Wilson in that game. Uh, and the score line was 2-1, really close down to the end. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is it's my like standout moment is less of a moment from a game, but actually last Friday uh, I was – here to or I was here at Poly to watch the boys play Cabrillo in soccer and so I was I was just like getting rosters from the Cabrillo coach coach noise yeah. noise yeah and so uh there's that guy from the test press telegram I'm sorry I forget his name I should know his name what is it Scott Scott French Scott French yeah uh and so I was just over there getting the rosters and he comes up to me and he's like oh hey you're one of the 562 interns I'm like yeah uh how do you know and he was like oh well i remember a couple months back i was reading an article about polyservite or millican servite something he was like it involved servite and i was like oh yeah that was me he was like oh i just want to let you know in like the seven years i've been reading articles for them that's one of the best articles i've ever read and i was like oh my god that's just a huge compliment i didn't know what to say especially because he was he works press telegram yeah yeah and so getting a compliment like that from him it's also just huge because lets me learn i feel like i'm doing something right too which just gave me a lot of confidence, I guess. 
he's taking your job, JJ. That's what, that's what Aiden said. Aiden's, Aiden, Aiden's, Aiden's coming after your job. That's what it sounds he's like. He's getting the love from everyone. <laughs> the love from everyone. We like that. We want the next generation to be better than us, right? That's the point. Absolutely. Uh, any, anything else? No, man. You're doing a great job. Just keep, just keep doing what you're doing, dude. Yeah, it's Thanks been so a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. We appreciate it, and uh, look forward to working with you more in the future, bro. Thanks. Thank you.